Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. My name is Jack McLean and I am the host for the podcast today. My guest is Steve Kelly. He's the High Performance Manager of the AFLW and Head of Development for Female Pathways. If you're new to the podcast, before we start Steve's intro, for those that are following us on Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you are on the socials, our podcast is on all your favorite podcast directories, so Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. So it'd be great if you could give us a follow. We post new content every week. Today, as I mentioned, our guest is Steve. Since being at City Swans for the last 10 years, he's had a range of different high-performance roles and has also completed his PhD. So we'll be talking a fair bit on the science side of things as well as the practical side and the art of coaching. So really looking forward to the show. He's completed, as I mentioned, PhD on research for junior athlete profiling within AFL, an assistant strength and power coach, assistant conditioning coach, NEFL game day, which is the reserves for those new to AFL. Prior to the Sydney Swans, he also worked at the Sydney Roosters as rehab coach and completed a sports science internship. So let's get straight into the show. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for jumping on, mate. No worries. Thanks, Jack. Let's dive straight at the beginning of your career, mate. When did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning and working with athletes? I suppose I played at a reasonable level soccer and Gaelic football back in Ireland, where I'm from. Had a lot of injuries, a lot of growth-related injuries that I know now. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly didn't manage them as well as injuries I managed within the, the pathway systems that I've worked with now. It was a long time ago. So fell out of love with sports to a degree, sort of through my, my late teens just because of the injuries and I had a, a bad hip fracture. Moved to Australia, early 20s, and decided to go back, educate into a sports science degree. Opportunities were probably bigger over here than, than back home for that. A lot of practitioners would go to England for their education. So managed to work my way through. It was a little bit older probably than your, your average. I was still you know, early 20s, early mid-20s a little bit older than the average uh, student. So I was pretty keen, pretty in your face to the lecturers and tutors to, to push on, you know, opportunity, mm-hmm. opportunities. When you look in a classroom of three or 400 students, you know, you need to be proactive. So in my education through UTS in Sydney, very good university connections, practical based uni. Yep. I got an opportunity in my last year undergrad to do an internship with the Sydney Roosters. Obviously took that mainly sports science or GPS and it was probably at his infancy. Some clubs were doing it better than others at that stage. So it was a bit of playing around with that. A couple of years, two years doing that. First year was the 2011 grand final. I got there, so that was a great experience. Yeah. Lost to the Dragons in that one, but it was good. And then I did with their NYC at the time under 20s. I did a year doing rehab. So I've got a good diverse look at uh, areas of S&C and sports science. And then I managed to pick up the PhD with the Swans. So it was kind of, I began as a joint role. So I was uh, a PhD and work. So that was, that was, you know, a good opportunity at the time. Myself and another guy at the time from UTS, we started at the same time. So, and then that evolved. So I think two, two years sort of doing the joint PhD and work well evolved into a full role there at the Swan. So, yeah, I've been there for 10 years now. So it either says I'm either good or they can't get rid of me, one or the other, I suppose. The beauty about it is I've evolved into a couple of roles. So it was a combined head of physical development in the academy and assistant strength and conditioning coach for eight years. So I got a diverse range of skills within the senior program. I suppose I'd be the generalist. And that probably came against me when COVID came around. So... I was the one to go, but I pivoted over full-time into the academy, which was I was very happy about at the time in the sense that the senior role always would take priority. But my passion was certainly within that development space. So, and that's where my PhD evolved into as well. So I'll touch on the PhD in a minute. So two years doing the academy and then we've, we've just now got a senior women's program and I was asked to, to come in and and lead that program and also lead the pathways within the female side. So again, it's different athletes, different opportunity, good experience. So diversify again. And it, it probably, as, as you move to your S&C career, sports science career, you look for those opportunities to sort of hone your skills again, bring something new. So yeah, very happy about pivoting at the moment into the, into the female athlete space. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Mate. There's, there's a fair bit to dive in there. I guess we'll go back to, you mentioned the Sydney Roosters role and, and, and how you're in that mindset where looking around at UTS, so there was plenty of, of students doing the same role. So you had to need to find an edge to, to get opportunity. For, for those students that might be listening into the podcast and are in that same phase of, of their development, you mentioned picking brains from lecturers. How, how did you actually land that role at Sydney Roosters, that internship? How did you get that foot in the door, do you think? It was luck. Let's be honest, it was luck. The guy that was doing sports science strength power role at the club at the time ended up getting sick and they needed someone to come in and fill in, take portion of his workload. So because I was in the tutors, lecturers face, asking for opportunity and marks and everything else were looking good. Um, mm-hmm. I was certainly putting the effort in and the degree going above and beyond, I suppose, what your average student would do. So mm-hmm. they're looking for someone, you know, come in at no cost to the club, obviously at that level. So and that's where the opportunity really landed. So it was, it was certainly put myself out there and then getting that opportunity based off that really. And from there, yeah, I just kind of took it and I put the hours in. So I was still last year of undergrad. So I still had to get, get through that, but I'd be finishing a 10, 11 at night session. So once I was in there, you know, just put the groundwork in and just put the hours in and just took it as an apprenticeship, really. Um, mm-hmm. I I have the, the pleasure now of teaching at UTS. So I've had plenty of interns come through the academy. I use that as a source and I'm obviously looking to help and give other people uh, opportunity. And again, my biggest advice to them is you're not going to come in at a certain level. If you need to come in and wash the bottles and be around the club, you need to do it. If you need to come mm-hmm. in and put the cones out, you need to do it. You will get other opportunity to coach, but realistically, it's about opening your eyes, going in, seeing the opportunity that you have and, and starting from there. I suppose even coming from, I did personal training and coaching in the background, but it's, it's a, it is a different level when you come in in professional sport and different skills are required. So it's been a bit, a little bit humble in that regard and then just building your knowledge base from there. That's probably the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Some great pointers, mate. I think what you touched on, how important it is to actually help the program, even if that is just assisting the person leading the program by setting up their cones for them or helping the, the strength and power coach with, with weights, however you can help out. And then that will build confidence in the department where you'll start to then get more opportunity to help out with more significant roles. But if you go in with that mindset, you're, you're probably going to get a lot out of it. For sure. Definitely. Great. And and you, and you mentioned the PhD, which, which we'll go into a little bit more detail later on, but ha- how much of your career when you look back on now was, was planned in terms of getting that internship in rugby? You mentioned playing Gaelic and soccer yourself, They're now working in AFL. When you went to Australia, obviously you were looking for that, that development, like you mentioned, because it was a little bit more accelerated to sports science, but were you also looking for elite pathways in that move or was it simply to have you taken it one step at a time when an opportunity is in front of you and, and put your put yourself into that and just let your, your career take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I've, I've been lucky, like, you know, I've had opportunity and opportunities been there. I've then taken the opportunity. So initially was certainly through those early stages of undergrad. And even prior to that was picking up little knowledge bases, doing your little short courses, doing the ACA, doing whatever it may be, not just thinking, okay, I'll get my, get through my undergrad and then I'll do it. It was certainly running them concurrently at the same time as getting the qualifications, as much of them done as you can, getting diversity. And as you, you probably know yourself, Jackie, that's when you meet other people in the industry and you, you see them five years later and they're in a, a good opportunity and they're in a good, and they're usually the, the practitioners that make it or, you know, to a certain level, the guys that are educating and always thinking about what's the next next bit of education i suppose as well like when i got to uni and i got doing the undergrad i did get a passion for research and reading research so that was probably the big one as well is okay where is this information coming from and then digging a bit deeper and finding out and you know reading papers and probably going well maybe that's not really the practical application is not really there in it but it's a it's a nice paper whatever it may be so looking at the science but then looking at the practical skills that you pick up along the way as well so that's probably the professional side yeah it was certainly was my aim like i had the 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 drive to want to get in professional sport but i did put the groundwork in a lot of personal training a lot of just coaching a lot of just ringing around and going work and putting cones out for semi-professional rugby teams whatever it may be i would just go Mm -hmm. weekend and help and just do i'd know i'd no problem going out just making that call, call and making going out and trying to help out wherever I could with, with the, you know, semi-pro, amateur, didn't have to be professional. So it's how you learn. It, it certainly doesn't just, the knowledge base doesn't just come. You need to put the groundwork in, the foundation in, for sure. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome, mate. Great, great advice. Take ownership over your career, hey? Yeah, for sure. Um, what about support and, and mentors or influencers when you, when you think back to this stage of your career? Did you have people that you, you lent on during this phase that you would, you would pick their brain or, or you know, what does mentorship mean to you, do you think, for developing SNCs? You mentioned that you're giving back now through the pathway of the academy with the UTS program. But what about for yourself? Is there anyone that was impactful? Yeah, for sure. Like I don't, I don't go chasing mentors. Sometimes I feel a bit like people want mentor and they think automatically that's going to give them a knowledge base. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is working alongside them, seeing what they do, asking them questions for sure. So they invariably turn into a mentor. So my, my, I suppose early for me was Damien Austin is up at the lines now. So Damien worked at the Roosters when I was there. And Damien was very, very good practitioner, science-based, but also in his delivery and his application, practical side of it. So I was very lucky in that regard. And it was a small crew at the, at the Roosters time. And then the head of, at the, at the time, head of physical performance was Cherry Mesh. It's an ex-player, played for Wests. And Cherry was just a great individual. Probably wasn't as strong as Damien on the science from the practical side and the actual coaching and the art of coaching, which I probably value more now that I think I've got a, a reasonable knowledge base is the mm-hmm. actual relationships and the coaching. Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably, I haven't seen anyone better than, than Cherry in that regard. And he, he'd come from being the next player and he'd worked with the Tigers and they won the competition 2005 maybe. So he, he had some experience. And, but probably the big thing I picked up from, from definitely all the I've been very lucky. I haven't, I've worked at a small group, I suppose, in, in with the Swans. Is They've no problem asking me my opinion. I'm, I work exactly the same in the academy. It doesn't matter where you are in it. I'll, I'll get your opinion and we'll make the decision based off that. So if, if I get the impression that someone's really keen to learn and they're asking me a question and they might be going down the wrong path, but they're actually willing to go and try and find the information out, I'd rather that than sort of want, wanting to be fed the information all the time. Or the knowledge mm-hmm. is actually mm-hmm. go search it, and if it's if it's maybe not relevant or practical, that's fine. You know, then um, we'll work it out, and you'll see what what works for your group or your team. So definitely, Damien and Cherry early, and then within the Swans, I got probably Rob Rob Spurs probably molding me the way he went about it. So you soon realize when you're ahead of performance, you can't cover every area. You can't like micromanaging is not the way to go. You need to have confidence that you know staff working with you and under you are willing mm-hmm. to. Do be able to take it on. And, and Rob was certainly very good at, you know, once he had confidence that, yeah, you can cover areas and sort of, you nearly r- read what his thoughts are and what he needs to be done next and you go and do it for him. Mm-hmm. So, and I suppose that develops over time as well. So Rob was massive influence. And then Damien was moved to the Swan. So he's a strength coach. I got to work with him again before he moved to Brisbane. So that was great opportunity. So we, we worked pretty sort of close and he was, he was on my research as well. So, and Mark Hill-Gallon came in then. So Mark's not a good Irish man. He, he came over and probably from a knowledge base and an exercise knowledge and, and from a, you know, diversity in the program, but certainly target, but, you know, ability to, to mold the program overseas. Mark was probably a massive influence in that regard. So mm-hmm. pro- program development, application, you know, not, not scared to sort of pivot and throw something in, you know, have your philosophies, have your, have your lifts, have your key movements, whatever it may be, but certainly, you know, have a look at the program. How is it evolving? What's the injuries look like? Whatever it may be. So Mark was really good on that. And then, yeah, we've had some really good practitioners from a medical side, Maddie Cameron as well. I suppose you're very lucky when you get the opportunity to work with these practitioners. They've been here for a long time, worked in the industry a long time. So you take as much out of that as you can. And then the current staff here, although I don't work as, as close, obviously, with them are very good, always open for conversations. Rob, Rob Innes at the moment is, and I see Rob as well, he's very good at relationships and the way he goes about it with the players and, and Shane uh, Lahane is a strength, strength power coach. So that's probably the area where I'm probably at now is that relationships and coaching, the art of coaching and getting athletes to do what you want them to do. Really learning off those guys but that takes time you, you definitely need to get your foundation and your knowledge base and then mm-hmm. you can develop those that are softer skills for sure yeah and as you mentioned in your in your intro you've you've had a great experience at the sydney swans across a range of different roles in the gym in the science and in the conditioning side of things is that something that you've had a, a bit to play with that in the sense that you'll you'll you know, help out in, in all areas, like you mentioned, the, the fact of being a generalist and, and, and that's something that you try and do. If there's an opportunity to help out in a department, you, you'll do that. Or is it something that there's a hole in the program and, and, and a, a job offer has come in that place and 
and therefore you've taken that opportunity and, and run with it. Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, being the journalist, I'd have to help out on field conditioning. You've got a group of 47 athletes, so you need to take a group for conditioning. You may need to help out the physio rehab. I haven't done a lot in the rehab space, apart from back in the Roosters. That was early early days for me as well, experience. So, But you certainly need to chip in and help out where it needs be. Uh, not more from training, coaching, rather than a, a practical or a programming point of view. Jim, I, I suppose... That was a big area where I'd assist in gym, whether it was Damien or Mark. So I picked up a lot of knowledge from those guys, just from their programming and, and application and, and how they go about it. So, and then GPS was probably a big thing in the, in this, in when I was at the Roosters, but then through the pathway systems, it's something you have to manage as well. So I've, I've managed to get back and I'm, I'm obviously managing it early now with the AFLW program. So yeah, certainly get a, I've had a, you know, I've hit a lot of different areas, but it definitely helps when you are, when I'm in the position now where I need to sort of cover all areas and have an understanding of where there may be a gap in a program or what needs to be covered because I've, I've had that experience in the different areas. So I think particularly undergrads or people coming out, they can kind of go, I want to be in sports science. Okay. But what does that entail? Like sports science got a lot of different areas. I don't think you can just solely go in that area. And if you do end up in a club where you're doing GPS and it's data or you're managing databases, is look for the opportunity to go into the gym and help out in the gym. Look for the opportunity to go on field. Ask why they're doing those running blocks. What's the load management? What's the thought process behind it in the background? Don't just sit there, download the units, cut up the data, send it out. You need to proactively ask what's the background? Like, why are we doing this? What, why is the load management over? But I think as well, once you, when you do manage it, something like GPS, you get a good understanding from looking at the data about what's happening. Okay, that week's a bit bigger than that week and that next week, and then they've unloaded. So it certainly helps. But yeah, if it just means putting out cones and setting up and watching pre-training, if it's an injury prevention component or if it's a speed component or whatever it may be, is get involved in every area that you can. Because then if you do get the opportunity eventually and build build your skill base, because you will end up probably having to, to move into different areas and not solely be be stuck in one area, particularly now it's probably less staffing post-COVID mm. than it was before. So you're going to have to help out. It's just a necessity. So you can't just think, okay, I'm just going to come in and just, you know, do load management within a team. You're not going to, you're going to have to help out in other areas. So yeah, I, I started, when I pivoted over from the, the roosters, I was setting up training, helping the logistics guys, bringing the water bottles out. No problem doing it. You got to start mm-hmm. somewhere. And then you go in to help out with training, ask, do you need a hand here? Because invariably, and I know it now, is you'll have 10 things to do with training. So I would, don't just stand there, be proactive of going, is there anything I can help you with? And I guarantee there will be something there that needs to be done. It's just, you may, they may not, the head of before, whoever's leading a session might not mention to you because they're thinking about another five things or thinking ahead of what may happen. So proactive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, mate. And, and you, you mentioned briefly as well personal training and coaching outside of sport. How important do you think that is on that on this topic where coaches need to take ownership and develop themselves and, and be proactive? How important is you've talked about the relationship side of things, but when you look back on personal training and, and running your own business, how important has that been to your career in, in coaching athletes? Oh, it's massive. Like at the end of the day, it's like an athlete, they develop through kid, play, play sport, play amateur, whatever it may be. And then they, if they're good enough, they hone their skills, they get in professional. If you're a coach and you think, I'll get you my undergrad, I'll have a bar job, I'll have whatever. And then you just think you're going to get in and, and have those skins, skills honed. It's not going to happen. Mm. Like mm. Even, even the, you can hone those soft skills being a personal trainer. And you, you know, probably even better at times because you, you have such a mix of clients. Clients that don't want to train, but they feel they need to. Clients that are pretty keen. Um, mm. So you can certainly develop that. But even probably the big thing for me was just the foundational exercises and programming and understand like there's less, less obviously on the line when you're coaching at that level, but certainly yep. it's your ability to, to go, okay, am I over coaching this exercise? Do I really need to go into this detail? You know, like, okay, there's little fixes I can do here, have an understanding what I do and then get creative with programs as well. I'm not just going to turn out trying out, you know, this generic program, be a little bit more creative. There's so much information out there now. It's even probably when we started, there's so much information, but just way through the good stuff and the stuff that's probably not so relevant. But yeah, I would, t- I would say it as your apprenticeship. It's, it's a, a no-brainer to start. It's just coaching. You're learning the foundations of exercise prescription and you're also learning your soft skills of dealing with people. 
And what about if you're in a position, which I'm sure you've had, where you, you're proactive and you're doing everything you can, but at the end of the day, like you've mentioned, that there's a fair amount of knowledge and, and skill set that, that comes to being a coach working in this environment and, and maybe at times you might ex- be exposed in a position where you haven't actually got experience on that skill set, whether it be GPS or a speed session or whatever it might be for a coach finding himself in that position. what What's the, obviously you'll learn as you go, but what are some ways that you can learn to, to accelerate the learning process, I guess, to make sure that you're not failing in that environment, but you're actually contributing? I suppose the big thing I picked up from Mark as well, Mark Elgallon was, if you're going to do plyometrics in your program is go and practice them. Mm-hmm. And certainly within the academy and pathways is the kids are very much visual learners. So your ability to demonstrate an exercise is going to have a big impact on the quality of what's, what comes out the other end. So certainly simple things is just whatever lifts they are, whatever you want, you want the program is, you, don't, you, you, know, you, you may not be re- very proficient at doing it, but certainly put the effort into doing it and understanding and why you go about it, because you, you will get to the stage where you will have to demo, demo a time. So mm-hmm. that's certainly one element of it. I, it's, it's a hard one, I suppose. But if you're putting something in your program, whether it's speed or agility or acceleration work, whatever it may be, is certainly you need to go and, go and find the information, go and find the exercises, go and, go and get some technical information about those exercises. Maybe go, to the, go down to the running track and have a chat to the the track coach, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? It doesn't always have to be in field sport. I'm in field sports. I'm doing speed session. Go and talk to the track coach. Go and talk to the guys that do it for an hour rather than you who does it for 10 minutes. So the people that have a bit more knowledge on it, that's who I thought I would like to seek out was people that actually probably do it a a little bit more um, Mm -hmm. and have to deal with the athletes. And then it's, yeah, it's, that's where you, you probably need to, like if you start at a lower level, whether it's, you know, kids, pathway systems or personal training is if these are, if these are elements you think it's useful within their program, put it in, have a play around with it. I do it the same with, with the SNCs. I get into the academy. They'll ask me about putting an exercise in. I'll go, okay, well, how have you progressed to that exercise? Like, have we created, you know, force development, velocity? Have they been exposed to get them here? And yeah, okay, well, put it in, have a, have a go, see if it works. If it doesn't, we can take it out. Like it's, it's a forgiving environment. It's not a win, it's not a win loss environment we're in in the pathways and such. It's a development. It's all about development. Getting getting people drafted. That's the way I look about it. So put them in, have a try. If it works, good. And you're gonna have the spectrum of athletes. Obviously, you know, good athletes, good force profile. Some athletes, good velocity profile. Whatever it may be. So, but certainly practice it, implement it, put it in. Practice yourself, put in programs at, at the lower end and then see if you can see how it looks and then possibly, yeah, if you get to that opportunity in professional sport, at least you've tried it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note, for we've asked a fair few questions for developing coaches, which I'm sure they're appreciating, but for the footballers listening in, maybe they're li- living rurally or remotely or, or they're in a program where there is no athlete development, strength and conditioning, what would be some key pillars do you think that's important for maybe a parent that's listening for their child to start doing with them or or a kid that needs to take it upon themselves, what are some key areas of, of focus? I suppose for me in the academy is certainly like speed in any sport, speed and power is seen as very important. But I, I feel as well, sometimes we can miss the boat of creating force development. So strength, so your ability to actually, you know, turn that force or strength into a speed or power movement. So mm-hmm. getting that foundational, we sort of talk about building the movements and movement and movement, but don't get too hung up on the movement either. Get them to do the movement, get them to do the movement on the load, see how it looks, get them to a proficient stage, move that in, get those force and power qualities in there as well. Because ultimately that's where you know, most successful or key, key movements are. So if it's, you're trying to increase speed, go out and run fast, go and get a running coach if you have to, some technical stuff, but certainly look at developing that speed component there's plenty of body weight power exercise you can do plyometrics so if you need to create a little bit more stiffness wherever it may be just go practice those plyometrics but certainly don't don't neglect the force development as well so getting this increasing the strength profile and then from there it's certainly working into the power profile and each athlete's going to develop at a different stage for sure i definitely see that regard afl obviously and we we're most of our athletes have a pretty good aerobic profile aerobic capacity, aerobic power. We touch on PhD or, or go into a bit of detail on that, but certainly it's, it's not something where we need to put a, a lot of work in, but it's a, it's a bell curve. We have some really strong, most sit in the middle and then there's definitely the outliers, but 
they're usually the better footballers sometimes. So it's developing those other qualities, but also understanding it, it is a high running demand sport. So I might do all the speed and technical work, but when you're getting fatigued and you haven't do those movements, you know, you may revert back to type A depending on your movement. So it certainly helps to add that diversity to the component. But the big thing I would say is you're developing a movement quality depending on what you want to do. There's a certain thought, thought process about, okay, what's the injuries through the different stages? So it's, it's a lot of load management between in the pathway systems rather mm-hmm. than soft tissues from what, from what I've uh, encountered through the years. Definitely the load management, bone stress, big ones. So being conscious of that, but being conscious, you do have to have a certain, you need to build the aerobic capacity, particularly through that younger mid-teens. It doesn't have to be, you have to run fast for those conditions, but certainly building some of those central adaptions and then you can develop more of a higher end aerobic, aerobic power, your repeat speed movements later. So I find it easier if I, my sort of philosophy, if I build that aerobic capacity earlier, they get some exposure to it. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't have to put a lot of work into it later. And you can really work on the higher end aerobic power. So shorter, shorter runs or two, two, three minutes, one and a half, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. MAS, whatever, you want, whatever way you want to cut it. And then definitely repeat speed, speed endurance as well is obviously a big one. So, but if you've developed that aerobic capacity, it kind of comes a bit easier. And lucky enough, most of the draftees have come out of here. The feedback I get is they're, you know, relatively good condition. They're probably able to handle a little bit more load than the average. You know, get some really good athletes from this, and it is very much dependent. Certainly, because I was exposed to the two programs, I can I was able to bridge that gap a little bit easier. Um, yeah, you know, it's relevant. Yes, and I know I know where they where they have to be and what's going to give them the best opportunity. Because ultimately, you just want to give them the most opportunity to do their skills. Mm. You, know, you, don't want them, you don't I don't want to get them prepared to be do more running. I want them to get them prepared to do more skill drills mm-hmm. you know, rather than having the modifications and skill drills because that's, that's ultimately their bread and butter and what's going to make them most successful. So if you can, you can make the athlete as resilient as you can to get as much skills as they can. I think you're doing a good job through those pathways. But certainly the... The big one over the years is managing those loads. So build your aerobic capacity, but if you're playing a number of sports, school, club, whatever it may be, is, is, is really managing for the parents. I'd say mm-hmm. that's, that's probably the biggest one because, again, we have, we have kids miss a year, two years from 15, 16, 17 years. That's skill development. I don't think you can make that up. That could be the, mm-hmm. that could be the chance between being drafted or not. So I, I'm not worried about... It's a about, slow burn yeah. sort of thing rather ramping it up. I'm not concerned about they've missed a year or two and their conditioning and won't make that. That's that, no issue there. It's the, mm-hmm. skill de- it's the skill development. That's probably the big one they've lost. Mm-hmm. So manage your loads, force development, strength, and then you can work into your, your more power and velocity side of the curve or profile. And right. with, on that note, it's a good one for, for the parents and even the kids listening in that, that, like you mentioned, club football, school sports, and then maybe they're involved in an academy or they've got maybe some representative footy, state-level footy football. So, yeah, they're getting pulled from all different directions. What, what, when you're managing in an academy, how do you guys manage that in-house? Like what are some tips for parents to, to maybe be aware of if maybe their child is showing signs of, of fatigue and, and then therefore what, what could be a good guide to, to help sort of prevent some, some of those bone stress injuries like you mentioned? Yeah, it is a tricky one, mate. It's a very tricky one. We we do have some in-house sort of measures. We've used load management documents. We've used currently, obviously, got smarter base in the pathways, which is very helpful. Again, the challenge there is compliance and within the athlete. But it is the parent. Parents are probably the biggest. Like I had those issues playing sport, so I have an understanding of them. Didn't manage them well. My parents probably, you know, they, they didn't know at the time. But I had signs. Mm. Like I had. I had soreness, prolonged soreness. I had, you know, spells where I probably needed to have a bit of a deload period, but I didn't. Kept pushing. Mm-hmm. I was multiple sport athlete growing up through my teens as well. So, you know, multiple sport athlete, it's going to be a risk. You can't go 12 months of the year with loads. So there is going to have to be. It's managing your body. So it's probably the signs, the prolonged soreness and the sites of the body. Like, where are you sore? Is your ability just to go, no, I'm actually going to sit out of this you know, I just can't do because we we do have athletes who will play with us. We'll say you can't play. You know, if you if you play academy game, you shouldn't play the weekend. They'll play with the club. There's pressures mm-hmm. there to play it. I appreciate the pressures are there, but I just put it back on them and say, well, what well, what's your long term? Like, what's your long term goal? This is a risk. You may get away with it. You may not. 
but mm-hmm. you're just you're increasing your risk. So mm-hmm. get a diary, go manage, write down if you have soreness, whatever it may be, or just write down how you feel every session. Feel okay, I'm a bit sore today. Something where you can kind of trigger you to, okay, something's happening here and have those conversations as a parent if they are. Because we usually have the conversations when it's when it's the, the injuries there, unfortunately, particularly with the bone stress yeah. one. So the hard ones are the nutrition and those components too. They obviously have a big factor as well is that can be the hard one for us to control. You just give them advice, sleep, eat, recovery, give them methods. But again, most of it is external. They have to do it away from the club. And mm. so it's giving them, give them the resources and then, you know, keep asking, are you doing it? So having those conversations, the, probably the, the big key warning signs are obviously those prolonged soreness. Is it affecting your sleeping, eating? How is your sleep eat going? And then just looking at your schedule and giving yourself a window of a deload as well. It's, we all probably did it through our teens. It's just keep going, keep going, keep going. Move from winter to summer sport. Different sports have different risks there as well. It's just giving, where there's a window of opportunity, you, you may have to take it. And from mm-hmm. a parent's point of view is understanding the, the, the times through adolescence that are bigger risks as well. Okay, what, what are the risk period for a male or female athlete? When is it, are they most at risk? What age group? And then you can kind of make adjustments from there as well. So we, we, we kind of play around with them, but they are, they are still different. You, don't, you can't prevent everything. That's a good segue for, for junior profiling, mate. Talk, talk us through your, your motivation to, to do your PhD for, for those practitioners that are thinking about it. Obviously, it's no mean feat. So how did you find that side of things? But then also, uh, how did you come up with the, with the topic with Sydney Swans? Was that something that they proposed? Did you come up with it? Talk us through that process. Yeah, so it's quite a broad one. Like It's not ground, groundbreaking research by any means, but probably the beauty about it is I made changes based off that research before the research, before I'd finished the PhD. So I managed to implement it. So when I took over the academy, they had no gym program. You had minimal sort of S&C contact. It was a, a skill-based program, which is fine. It was targeted in New South Wales, Queensland was skill-based programs. But certainly an area we look at developing. So I, I came in, I saw a sort of gap at the opening there. And lucky enough at the time, Chris Smith was running the academy and Paul Rue was the head coach. They were pretty keen to yeah, let's, let's implement something. Let's have a look. So they gave me th- that opportunity. So looking at, said bro- pretty broad. So I look at strength profile, power profile, aerobic capacity profile test as well. So, you know, you probably look at repeat speed or game, game type movement and then GPS as well. So what's the game look like? So compared to, looked at the first study, just looking at the, the academy and then I categorized the senior program into different groups as well. So our development group, one to two or three year players, three to four, and then you're plus seven. What's the differences there? So we had very strong, no real difference in running capacity. So we're very strong runners, obviously. The profile is pretty good. AFL athletes generally tend to be. It was that strength and power. So pretty obvious, you know, different development times, but we'd no mm-hmm. strength, we'd no strength program. So it was an easy sell. Mm-hmm. Can we start yeah. a strength and power program? Yes. You know, so that was the, you know, that's where we, we started that. The, the infancy of that so that was good and then from there that's developed into you know over time as well for more access more contact then looked at the game base so compared the the under 18 lead under 18 competition with our NEFL at the time it's VFL now obviously and the senior program looking at the difference in variables there what's the big difference the big one would be time simple one mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so we, they play more time if they're in NEFL it's our academy guys the, best, the better end, lucky enough to play in the NEFL team. So they play more time. So they're exposed to more high-intensity efforts, more accelerations, more decelerations, and physicality from, from that point of view, which was, was harder to track, obviously. But So while the NAB League is obviously the gold standard for that youth program, if you can expose them to, to that sort of bridge in you know, having to do more repeat high-speed efforts, more high-speed running, bigger bodies, more physicality, if they can cope with it, obviously, and depending on the athlete, and more game time, it's, it's going to be a benefit. So, you know, play the NAB League, put yourself out there in front of recruiters, but certainly get some exposure to some, some higher-level competition or against athletes who are, you know, higher-level if you're playing, say, Giants or Brisbane at the time or Gold Coast Academy, very needful teams. That was, yeah, that was probably the big one, but the recruiters would probably say, yeah, we know that, but they all want to see the kids playing the NAB League anyway. So that's fine, but at least sort of drop it in there. We need to expose the kids to 
because they're going to hit these metrics and they're going to see more high speed. You know, more, that's probably the most important factor there. And then I just looked at our first year profile, our first year within the senior program. What do we look like? What do we need to sort of target there? What's the main profile? So again, it was any study that I did was strength and power based. It came back to about three or four years. You're kind of at that sweet spot of, of development for those areas. You have a big window between that one to three years coming out of new programs for strength and power development. And then after that, you kind of sit and, you know, you kind of plateau to a degree, I suppose. You might make small gains. And I'm just looking at, you know, pure numbers of strength testing and lifts, running capacity, wherever it may be. So you mm-hmm. kind of hit your groove by that three or four years. So I suppose for me, it was, okay, so if I can bridge that gap a little earlier, so if I can have the 16, 17, 18-year-olds somewhere in between a normal first year and a third year, it's going to help. So that was kind yeah. of there. So that's where yep. I, I kind of pitched the programs and development. And then study then compared our selected uh, – Academy players would get selected within our NEFL team and the non-selected looking at the profile. And it was certainly mm-hmm. like, there was certainly difference in strength and power and aerobic capacity. Like you could see there was a trend there of, 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 of a better physical profile. So their, their ability to actually cope with the, the bigger loads that, you know, so that, that was a factor. So then it's like, okay, so how can we develop the bod- bottom end of the academy? Like, you know, if I suppose the, the age old thing is the small kid can give him enough time to develop, he may end up being the better skilled because he's had yeah. opportunity and he's had to fight all the way. So can we, are we missing someone? And from a physical point of view, can we get them up to speed enough that they can get selected at a higher level and then maybe develop some skills that way? And then I guess about any study, PhD, you need to put an intervention in there. So simple strength and power. Can I, can I change the profile over a shorter window of time? And yeah, certainly. So from a group who didn't, who weren't exposed to the same type of gym program, and the, di- the difficulty of a study like that is very practical, very hard to control a lot of factors, but I was able to control the, uh, like have a training program and a non-training group, and then just compare their profile after 12 weeks. And obviously, as you would imagine, the training group were able to develop even in that short window. So very hard to get them published because of the, I suppose, one is your subjects, you see one group of athletes. So when you start to delve into the research areas and you sort of see these issues that you encounter, your ability to control a lot of factors in the study, but from an actual practical point of view and the practicalities and what I was able to implement over my eight years, it was, yeah, it was massive help to me. So stuff you think is pretty obvious, but actual seeing it in hard numbers and facts and going, okay, where we need to, we need to develop this physical quality. It'll probably help them and then it'll get them maybe selected for a better level and we need to expose them to this better level because it's going to help them with a couple of qualities whether it's you know get exposed them to more high speed running and efforts or change of direction or the physical physicality of a of a higher level game so yeah it was i really enjoyed it like technically it was a practical practical subject in that phd and quite, quite enjoyable and probably the most enjoyable was being able to put those interventions in, in place within the academy and on that, for the maybe the NAB League strength and conditioning coaches or those working in junior pathways, you mentioned um, there wasn't access to it. Well, Jim, Jim wasn't part of the program, and, and then that you brought that intervention in place, and it got you know to help develop the the players to to get stronger, more powerful, and, and progress that um, transition to playing high level football. Or for those that got drafted, they they you, you saw progress in their ability to be able to be more resilient. So clearly there's value in it, in, in lifting at a younger age to accelerate that athlete development. What, what would your advice be? It sounded like you, you did a pretty good job selling it to, to Paul Ruse. How did you go about doing that? that did you would you put a presentation together like for coaches that want to sell a program to a club level or junior pathways level that we need to upgrade our gym because it's limiting the impact on the, on the program? What would be some strategies they could use? Yeah, certainly. I think these days I did present at the time and, found some research and some gaps and where I'd see and even just doing a pilot study at the time. So I'd started in there and I was able to do a quick pilot study and go this way. And like, ultimately it wasn't on their radar, but when I mentioned it, it was like, yeah, let's do it. Cause they knew it added value to the program. Sometimes you can be restricted by them. I think, well, where are we going to find the time for it? But if you, I sold it that we could fit it in around the program. Okay. I sold it that it would add to the program. And I suppose I was lucky enough that, say Paul and Chris, they've been around fully, so they know it's part of senior programs anyway. So they could they could see the benefit in that regard. Probably the main thing is just selling it is 
also have a bit of an idea about, okay, how am I going to develop it from a 15, 16, 17, 18? So how, how are you going to develop that program? So you don't have to have detailed graphs and charts and sets and reps and so on, but a bit of, okay, they'll start here. This will be the, the basis. So it'll be a movement based and then it'll be a force or quality strength based. And then we'll start to implement that strength and power. To sell the big picture. Yeah. So like you, I'm yep. trying to develop these qualities and this is how I'll kind of go about it. So bit of a bit of a building block phase, but yeah, I was lucky enough. It wasn't a hard sell in that regard. It was more, I find within these programs is because you're restricted by time is then how can you fit it in with time? But we, we tacked an extra error onto training based off it. And now it's just part and parcel of the program. So now it's just, yeah, it's, it's what they do. And I suppose we're lucky enough these days that most kids have access, whether it's through schools and most of the, most of the schools, at least a lot of my athletes go to are high level practitioners in there as well. Like the, mm-hmm. the level, the level of, of S&C practitioners is very strong these days, you would say. So they're exposed to, you know, more complex lifts and say to what it might have been. It might have been just a very basic program, maybe five, six, seven, eight years ago. Whereas now it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, they do have that quality. They can progress. Mm-hmm. This athlete, maybe not. So the, the ability then to work within even the bigger groups and pick the, the better athletes and not just hold them back with the other. So being able to develop. So yeah, it's definitely sell it. You, you'll, you will probably need to sell it. But first of all, say find some research that shows it's worked talk about the program itself how we can fit it in sell it that it's just you know part and parcel of of senior programs now anyway and you know the ability to to accelerate these kids development based off building their strength base building their power base building their aerobic base is obviously going to help them as well that's you know Ultimately, we're always, we are in the business of trying to get them drafted through the pathway. So it's not, not about win-loss during the NAB League or whatever. For me, anyway, obviously, mm. games, but it's about, it's always the big picture. It's always the big development picture. How can I develop from 15 to 18? Like, what's the, what's the stages we're going to go? So yep. presentation is very good in that regard, very powerful. And um, what about, in, in your experience, what are some of your favourite lifts to develop strength in, in those age groups, the 15, 16, 17? What are your favourite key lifts? Well, from a practical point of view, so certainly I would, like a squat would be a big lift. Front squat would be probably the main one. Just if kids can develop and we do progress to, say, some Olympic lifting as they're going into a senior program, like just, you know, obviously a component of that front squat position, but that's, that's long-term, but also mm. just limit them the load they put on there a bit to a degree and you can get a good, a good look at the, the movement profile and I find it a little bit safer where they can just tip the bar off rather than on their back. So it's a bit of a safety element, a bit of a long-term, okay, if we are going to put some power lifts in there from the Olympic lift point of view, at least they're doing a front squat, so that catch position. Um, and also just, yeah, I just think it probably limits initially what they, the load that they'll, they'll add to the bar. So lower body, certainly big lift. Trap bar would be probably what I've sort of moved on to now based off it was based off actual equipment at the time, but I just think of trap bar as well. It's an easy lift to teach. You can load it up and certainly if it's done properly and you coach it properly, it's pretty safe. So I'd probably prefer that there. A lot of accessory lifts around the program. So I do usually do a floor press just for shoulders, just a little bit nice on the shoulders to get an AFL, shoulders and get beat up. So that'd be a big upper body bench pull as well because you can load up chin-ups. I can use weighted chin-ups as well as a, as a, as a strength test. So I have a big key and then a lot of accessory lower body. So groin, hamstring. So I'll do a Nordic, they'll do a knee and a, and a, a hip, an RDL. The female side of it now, definitely more quad based as well. So that's probably the, the injury I see a lot more in the female side of it. So working on the quads a bit more, not so much in the main. I have my sort of theory why that might be to a degree. And then, yeah, so I try to cover off a lot of bases, lower body. So not as probably when, the, when they get the program, they're a bit like, not as exciting for them, but, and then if they are able to progress, you know, step up as well, I like a step up to sort of the movement profile of it and then add some movement complexity to them as well as you go. So yep. have your key lift yep. for strength and then add your lifts that you can add a bit of movement complexity as you move along. Definitely lower body bait, like very much lower body targeted. Have my big key upper body lifts and rocks, keys, some positional rotational work with that as well or anti-rotation, whatever it may be. And try to create the, create the variation in their program, but certainly big accessory lower body for, for injury and try to cover off as much as you can, you know, whether it's some isometrics, isotonics. Again, the research is there and there's research for and against, but from a practical point of view, is, is it 
going to affect them? Is it going to affect the program? Have I got the time to put it in? Okay, I'll, I'll put it in and see. And that's the beauty yep. about it with S&C is, you know, you can kind of get caught up with, oh, well, this person agrees, this person disagrees. Put it in, have a look. Does it affect the athlete? No. Is the, like, what's your injury rates? You know, be forensic about what's going on in your program. And then, you know, it may, may not work, but at least you have a try, put it in there and you can, you can pivot and move to the next thing. Core point of view. Yeah. A lot of sort of anti, anti rotation, more bracing. So, the, you know, ability to, to be able to absorb contact, not be, not be pushed out of position. That's probably, yeah, the, the main element of the core side of it. But then mm-hmm. you do do some flexion extension as well. Like, mix it up. Like, it's, you do create the variation, but I certainly don't create var- variation for variation's sake. I try to yeah. keep it basic, really basic in the, in the, uh, within the academy. But like, if the kid, I'm not going to hold the kid back if, if they're, you know, strong. Like, if they have a strong power pro- or force profile, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll certainly work on the, the power side and velocity side with them more if they've developed that. So, they, they will get that fair variation. So, and I think if you get the, if you, if you can start developing that young enough, 15, 16, by the time they're 17, 18, you, the very, you can provide that variation in the program. And so it's essentially for me, it's like a first year senior program. If I've developed them through that 15, 16, 17 years, by the time they're in their 18th or draft year, 19, the gen, their program looks a lot more like a first year players. Reps might be a little bit higher. I might be still a bit more cautious on the load of lifting, depending on the athlete. But certainly mm-hmm. looking at comparing from what the first or second year athletes can do, it's, you know, they're usually lifting pretty similar weight, if not more at times, just because I've had that time to develop it. So keep it simple, but certainly if you see avenues to, to develop different qualities, whether it's a movement-based, power, velocity, or even strength, if you have to be, put it in there as well. Mm-hmm. Not, everyone's program certainly doesn't have to be the same. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for, for sharing in such great detail and give, giving us a good insight on the on your philosophy. What about power development? You mentioned Olympic lifting. You mentioned that you 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 do do with with younger athletes once they've earned their right. They're doing power work. They're doing speed work as well. So, uh, are there certain scores that you like to see before they start, or, or movement competency you like to see before they start doing a clean, or or is it more just case by case on their on how they look and their technique and how how strong they are, like how objective is your decision making to progress and, and how much is it sort of subjective or, or age-based? It's definitely age-based. Like it won't be till they're sort of that last year. Now, warm-ups, we'll, we'll throw in sort of progressions, regressions of a lift. We'll throw elements in, be lift off. And, skill development. Yeah. Like I use it as a yeah. skill development. Like I'm, I'm not turning them into Olympic lifters and I know people are for and against it as well. Sometimes it's for if they have earned the right, as you said, they're strong. Definitely, it's got a, a strength element to it for me. Um, mm. Competency elements so of their front squatting at a reasonable weight, if they can front a reasonable weight. But mm-hmm. I suppose from an act, from an, from a practical point of view and a progress, a quality within the program, loaded jumps. So that would be that would be the one where I'd look to get a good transfer. But then mm-hmm. the Olympic lift is more of a skill development, bit of an earn to right. Let's let's get some variation in your program from 17, 17 18 years put them in as part of the warm-up so so they're ready for when they're going into the sydney swans program you, you've you've taught them the competency basically but you're not loading them up like yeah. you mentioned like a squat yeah. jumps more you you focus for velocity and like not all the coaches would do it anyway within the senior mm-hmm. programs and so a lot of time i do try and align my program here for when they go into the senior program that mm-hmm. that can be that can be challenging when you get a change of snc and they've got the new philosophy but generally, yeah. generally, the power profile or the force profile is tracking in the, the positive direction anyway. So, yeah, I'm certainly, yeah, I'm not obsessed about I need to get these perfect Olympic lifters. It's more, it's usually a small cohort within the group are competent because they have the strength base to do it. And it's, it does take a, a fair bit of teaching. But, yeah, they'll, they'll have plyometrics in the program. They'll have loaded jumps just for a simpler lift to be able to create that velocity. And beauty here, we have the gym aware as well, so we can give them that feedback so they can see and they can have a look at their profile. So yeah, that's, I suppose, what we're lucky enough here to be able to, to give them that feedback as they go. Yep. Awesome, mate. I'm, I'm mindful of time, so we'll, we'll, we'll move into the last couple of questions. Over your career to date, what has been a major challenge that you've overcome and, and what did you learn from it? I suppose the COVID was probably the big one. Uh, yeah, it's a popular, popular choice. Yeah, that was a big <laughs> challenge. Curveball. Yeah, so in one sense, it was kind of like, okay, being the generalist, was, I was the fall guy. Yeah. Uh, but 
also now having the position I'm in and the role I'm in, as I said, it's probably helped me because I know what needs to be done in programs and the areas that may, may need to be covered. So mm. certainly being good at something is, is helpful, but having an understanding, like realistically, when you're, you become a head of, a head of performance within whatever program it is, it's probably a relationship thing. So that's where I see Rob Spurs and Robin is like they're very strong the way they run programs. So mm. it's your ability to, you may, not, you, you may not be doing prescription, but you may not be coaching as much hands-on. So mm. you're dealing with a program, you're dealing with the skills side of it, you're dealing with the player side of it, the, you know, the skills coaches, the players, the other elements to the program, you know, players need to go and do whatever media. So you're trying to juggle everything. So your ability to sort of, you know, build relationships that way, but still understand why, okay, why is the strength coach doing that? Why are we doing that? On, you know, why are these other elements happening? So COVID was probably the biggest one. I you know, had a pretty decent trajectory along the way and then that came in, but, you know, and then I got the full-time academy role. I was very happy with that because I felt like I could actually put my time into this. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could concentrate and focus on doing that program. So, you know, it was a challenge, but then it did, it's, you can get a bit comfortable as well. I suppose I'm a, I'm very lucky. Like 10 years is not normal for being in a, a team. There's plenty of people who could do my job out there that aren't doing it. So it's, I've just been lucky enough in that sense. And then that probably was, okay, what do I need to do? Where, where do I need to pivot? Am I doing enough in my own career? Is there anything else I need to do? So I was, in one sense, it was a negative, but then it certainly turns into a positive. Yeah. And what about on the flip side? What's a positive highlight that you, that you look back on fondly? I suppose working in the development space is having the draftees come true. That's probably gives me the most. Like we've had some really good draftees come through the program here. So that's like having, when they give you a text or a phone call on draft night and say, thanks for your efforts. That's what it's like. I'm, I'm not looking for it, but it's certainly, you know, seeing them fulfill that, putting their effort in, that's, that's, yeah, like I've worked with some high-level senior players in the, in the Swans program for the last 10 years, but probably the players getting drafted from the academy is probably my biggest, the biggest kick I get out of working in for sure. Like it's, it's sort of, you've had a small little impact, you've helped them a little bit along the way and you're, you know, you've seen them bear the fruit and then hopefully they're able to, to, to kick on through it. So a couple of grand finals since I've been here, we've lost them. Lost them all. Came in, I came in after the back end when they were, the Swans won one. But again, great experience. It's just been around sort of 40 clubs when they're, they're being involved in that. But yeah, definitely the pathways stuff for me and, and, and players fulfilling their dream, getting drafted, it's probably been the biggest. Yeah. Uh, yeah super successful club and, and great systems in place being and you've been involved in it all, senior men's development and, and senior women's. With, with the new role that you're in, we've fin- spent a fair bit of time on development. You're now working with female athletes for the female athletes listening in or parents of female athletes or coaches with female athletes. You mentioned the importance of, of quad development for preventing knee injuries. But what are some other things that are sort of key pillars of your focus from a athlete development point of view? Yeah, it's definitely a different profile in the female space. Not certainly... There's a lot of the training problem. You would be similar and be crossover. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose the big, the big, the big thing that tends to hit the media now and then the women is obviously injuries and knees and so on. But the way I look at it is, I've got a four-year-old and she does gymnastics. My eight-year-old boy couldn't do what she does in gymnastics. Mm. When, but when I watch the women out in the field, they don't move quite the same as the men do. It mm-hmm. is different. And a little bit, I'm not sure, a little that could be, they take up the game a bit later. You know, it is very multifactorial. So certainly mm. having an understanding about the game and how it looks and how they move. And then, you know, you're still developing speed and power and change of direction. But is whereas, you know, you might look at going, oh, my big rocks in the men's program is speed and acceleration. Whereas in the women's program, I work a bit more on pivoting and change of direction and, you know, adding that element to it. I'm certainly increasing their power and force profile. From my experience of just even doing plyos and, and power-based exercises obviously doesn't look the same as the men do and that's you know doesn't have to look the same but if it's an area where you know whether it's rate of force development or some some area that you can work on just because they may not have had the gym experience like a lot of our i've worked in the academy the female program the last two years and the seven, 16 17 girls they don't have the gym exposure mm. they're not not doing it so they're not creating the they're not creating that physical profile at a younger age so you're having to catch up, play catch up to a degree, but it's, it's good. Like you, you, it's what we do. We look at areas, how can we improve different areas in the program? So 
that's probably the biggest one. Like, so I'll keep it pretty simple. Okay, I need to improve the force profile, the ability to, you know, increase the muscle contraction, more, more muscle fibers, whatever it may be, and then I can start looking at, you know, power and velocity and, and increasing that area too. But certainly in, in the female athlete space is very enjoyable. Like they do ask the why a lot. Why are we doing okay. this? What's this? How does this help? So from a practitioner point of view, it's it's good because it keeps you on your toes as well, and it means you. You know, you need to know your stuff and have an understanding about why you're implementing or prescribing. But yeah, I, I'm guessing it's, again, it's looking at needs and what's the training history, playing history to a degree, what's the demands, different demands, different games, 16 aside, 18, 19 minute quarters, okay, physically, from a capacity, running capacity, what they got to do. And then from, a, from an actual physical development point of view, where do you see, like, you, you can't look at, say, the boys, male and female and go, okay, the boys games like this so i need to get the female it's different it's a different game yeah. in that regard so yeah it's from a physical point of view probably tracks similar but there's different areas you might look at from an injury point of view obviously they tend to get different injuries than men to a degree but they're they're difficult like it's it's not an easy simple thing to go you know programs need to be better programs are very good i've talked to guys in the aflw programs the high level practitioners it's mm. It's a different athlete. You're dealing with a multifactorial elements, different things. It is 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 difficult to manage. So it takes time. Yeah, it takes time. It's an understanding about it. You're going to cop the injuries. You cop the soft tissues probably in the male program more, you, just because of the speed of the game, the velocities. Whereas in the women's program, you're probably getting those joint injuries, bone injuries. Mm-hmm. So how can you limit them? You're never going to get rid of them. But how? It's sort of what can you do to to limit them? And let's be honest, from everyone I've talked to, we're all trying. Everyone's trying. Yeah. yeah. And, and you mentioned, we talked about some details, some, some strength areas for, for athletes to follow and, and the importance of the, developing the front squat early on from a technique point of view and to transfer to other lifts and, and trap bar deadlift for, for force development. What about for rate of force development for the girls listening in or, and boys, but they, they want to work on that sort of thing and start a bit younger. What are some of your favorite drills to start feeding in when the athlete's ready? I just, I like them to do even the force lift, what we'd see is a force lift fast like you know concentric components extension like I, I like to see them fast so i just think it is it is key like most most of your key movements are velocity or speed based on field like some of it is you know aerobic endurance and those sports that go for longer your ability to to tolerate but certainly your ability to repeat speed in a game is 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 important and key because they're generally when the, the key moments arrive so yeah, d- doing those lifts at speed sometimes it's going to have to be loaded and heavy to get the strength profile but where you can sort of get windows of even a trap bar, doing your trap bar jump, you know what I mean? Like just, you know, deloading it, but getting the velocity element to it, your your squat jump or your kind of movements and loading them as well. Like they're, they're obviously simpler to do. You can, you can put a gym wear on it, give them that feedback quite quick, quite easy. So that's where, you know, I like to, I do like to give them as much feedback as I can, have a look. Competition, breeds competition as well, which is always a good thing. And then, so I'll have the velocity-based lifts and then I'll work around with plyometrics as well, just trying to work on the spring, particularly the lower body as well. And as you know, it can be challenging in, in footy because of you know tendon issues and, and calf and injuries and so on. So just got to be conscious of that as well. But I generally go hand-in-hand hand with the plyos, so working on the spring and working on the velocity. And what, what I found is it's just educating on, okay, you're doing this movement for velocity, you're not doing it for force. You know, if I'm particularly young athletes, just want to keep loading weight on, weight on, weight on. They think that's, that's okay, now I need to do this. Okay, your Olympic lifts are obviously high load. You're trying to lift quick, so you're trying to get the velocity element, but, you know, you're, you're resisted by the load. But sometimes you do a lift. I want to see the velocity side of it, not the force side of it. So mm-hmm. have an understanding about, have, it, have, you, have your exercises where you're chasing the velocity, have your exercises where you're chasing the force, and then your plyometrics, I think, are a good, uh, they, they complement the program. Yeah, give you a bit of variety there as well. So you know, there's a lot of plyometrics, a lot of simple ones out there. Grab a skipping rope, go and grab a skipping rope. Start from there. Yeah, yeah, awesome, mate. Well, yeah, we're at the last part of the the podcast, the the get to know Steve stage. So just a couple of, I guess, somewhat personal questions. But first ones: which movie or or TV series can be a book as well has impacted you the most? Don't watch much TV, to be honest, mate. Too much, too much going on. Yeah, jeez. Uh, nothing's really impacted me in that regard not not career wise anyway i tend to like to switch off so i'll read rather than reading textbooks i read a lot of journals to be honest mm-hmm. with you i'd like mm-hmm. to chase i like to chase the primary source so i'm a bit of a, a nerd in that regard 
But yeah, geez, I I just switch off and watch something totally different, mate. From a yeah. point of view, so there's no, it's more probably cultural. I show me age back in the day, so like Train Spotting in Ireland, all cultural type movies back back in the nineties and two thousand. So nothing nothing related to footy or sport, really. Yeah, yeah. And what about in your work life? What are your pet peeves? What, what makes you angry? I suppose, like I love working in S and C. I've I've been lucky enough to work in some great environments and reach out and touch base with a lot of great practitioners. I do probably don't like the ego in the industry, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like the way it's, it seems to be like you can't be wrong. You know, you need to be seen as being no no everything. Like I certainly don't know everything. I certainly make mistakes. I certainly ask everyone in the room their opinion. Sometimes I have to make the final say, whatever it may be, depending on where you're in the program. But probably probably that element about it, I think we could certainly be better at that. And I think it is getting better. That's, I think mm-hmm. it is. Like we are reaching mm-hmm. out and being a bit better. But I think his understanding is like you're never going to know everything. Your program's good. It's probably the same as the next person with some slight variations. You could probably do things better. But probably as an industry, yeah, we could probably be a little bit better in that regard. So that's probably park the ego a little bit and, and let's just help each other. Because, you know, I know everyone, it's tied for jobs and everyone wants to get in there, but probably not by tearing someone down. Because ultimately, I've been exposed to some really great programs with some really great people. And they, it's not what they're chasing from a character point of view mm. so mm. let's just let's just get around each other i think yeah yeah that's a good one what about your favorite way to spend your day off day off get on the bike go for a long ride yeah go for a fish as well if i can get out and go for a fish if i get a bit of time and the kayak i suppose is probably the three if i can get out and get outside and do something certainly something active anyway awesome thanks mate and and Final question, what, what are you excited for for the rest of 2022? Sounds like you've got a pretty exciting campaign ahead of you. Yeah, no, I'm very excited about this new program. It's, it's a lot to learn. Even just moving into that female athlete space, I'm, I'm very excited. Like it's, I think as well, one thing I would say is definitely look for challenges in your career as you go along. You're going to get knocks. You're going to get setbacks. You may be lucky enough to get into a professional team. You'll get knocked out of it. You know, Don't take it as... You know, I think we're probably good in this industry and not taking it personally. We move on mm. and we go again because ultimately we do have a very, everyone has a high level skill and a base. We may just need to work on, depending on your how your relationship, your ability to do that. And then, you know, whatever it may be, you, you need to, to then get in and, and take, take the setback as an opportunity. What have I done? What can I do better? But yeah, I'm really excited about working in the female space and the new, the new program. So we'll see how it goes. It'll be a challenge. I imagine a new team, but an exciting challenge. Yeah, no, they're, they're lucky to have you, mate. They're in good hands and no doubt you guys will have a successful year for 2023. Is that when it, or when's it starting actually? Into uh, the year. Yeah, it's uh, August, September. August. Yeah, it's not far away, 2022. 10 weeks. Beauty. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for everyone that's tuned in as well. Live, if you tuned in halfway through or three quarters through, highly recommend listening to the start. Steve's dropped gems for developing practitioners and as well as developing athletes, even parents will get something out of this podcast. So you can listen, it's on our YouTube channel. And then for those that like to watch, listen to the audio, the podcast will be released next Tuesday. Our next Prepare Like a Pro Live chat show will be with Danny Kennedy, the founder of DK Fitness at 4 p.m. on July 1st. I'll see you guys then. Thanks again so much, Steve. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey with us. No problem. Thanks, Jack. Cheers, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um... It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, like game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And 
you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah. Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose... One thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear Fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.